Welcome to episode two of the Cosmosphere podcast, Mars. Each month we dive into space history and talk about the work that the museum does with artifact restoration, as well as education and outreach programs available through the Cosmosphere. I'm your host, John Molnix, and you can catch me here on this podcast and on my daily podcast, The Space Shot. There's new episodes of the Cosmosphere podcast available the first Wednesday of each month, so make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss any episodes. While you're at it, do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes or Google Play Music. Your reviews help more people find the show, which helps more people find out about the incredible work that's done at the Cosmosphere. This month, we're going to talk a little bit about the Curiosity rover, which is the largest rover currently in operation in our solar system, and then we're going to dive into some education and outreach programs that the Cosmosphere offers. Curiosity was launched on November 26, 2011, and landed on the Red Planet just over eight months later. After its 350 million mile journey, Curiosity touched down within a mile and a half of its target, a fantastic shot considering the distances involved in its trip away from Earth. The rover is currently examining the surface of Mars, looking at the geologic record of that planet, and searching for clues as to when Mars could have hosted microbial life. NASA and other space agencies rely on robotic explorers like Curiosity because we're unable to send humans out so far away from Earth just yet. Teaching students how robots work helps prepare them for a variety of careers, especially ones related to space exploration. In this episode, you'll hear my conversation with Tracy, Carla, and Brad from the Cosmosphere, and we'll talk about upcoming events at the museum, Mars, robotics, and education programs. Let's dive in. Today I'm talking with Tracy Tommy, VP of Education at the Cosmosphere, and Brad Neust, a space science educator at the Cosmosphere. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I'm glad to be included and always happy to get the word out about things that are happening at the Cosmosphere. It's great to have both of you here. We're going to start off today's episode with a little bit of background. Tracy, you've been with the Cosmosphere for how many years now? I've been here for just over three years. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the path that took you here and then, you know, the work that you're doing now at the Cosmosphere? Well, okay. I'll try to give you the short version. Um, My my path is long and winding, and I hope it serves as an example to others that Maybe as you're preparing as a child and a young adult, an adult for what you want to be when you grow up, maybe we still don't know what that is. So always have your options open. Um, what my, the way I um, came to the Cosmosphere was originally I had, was in college to get an animal science degree, which of course sounds like, you know, it goes well with aerospace, but there you go. And uh, while I was in school at Texas Tech, I met my husband 
and he was a instructor pilot out at an Air Force Base, Reese Air Force Base in Lubbock, Texas. So that changed everything. And I mean, I won't lie, I went into animal science because I grew up in the country. I was a first generation college goer and you go with what you know. And I was surrounded by livestock and I wanted to manage a ranch. So once we met and married and traveled over the next 21 years and did a lot of interesting and different things, you know, I got more and more involved in the in the aviation side of life because he was a pilot, obviously, for the Air Force. And um, with that, uh, I went in and started working at the Challenger Learning Center in Colorado Springs. And after 17 moves over 21 years of his career, I said, you know, we're retired here. We're never moving again. I don't want to see another box. <laughs> we bought big pieces of furniture because we would never have to move it again. And then... Um, I moved up there, became the CEO, absolutely loved it. But then after a few years, I heard about the Cosmosphere and they were looking to totally change how they were doing education. And I talked to Dick Hollowell and he was the CEO here. And you know, it just was so interesting and fascinating, the potential for what can happen here that I couldn't resist and I said to my husband, how about one more move? <laughs> so <laughs> we did, we up and moved from Colorado Springs to Hutchinson, Kansas, and we just love it, love it, love it here. Um, there's a lot to do, great people, great country, and of course, you know, everything at the Cosmosphere is amazing. Definitely, it is my favorite place to visit when I go see family in Kansas, good. so you know, it's, it's always good to be out there. Brad, same for you. How long have you been here at the Cosmosphere, and what did your path look like coming to the museum? Okay, well, I've been here almost 11 years, and uh, I have been a fan of the Cosmosphere since I was a kid. I grew up in the area, so I um, came to the Cosmosphere on school field trips and came here with my parents and uh, grew up coming to the planetarium and watching shows, so I really got interested in space and science and Astronomy became a hobby of mine uh, when I was in junior high, and so I've been doing that as a hobby and teaching myself about that ever since. I started working here part-time on the weekends doing scout programs, and, uh, and then I started doing shows like Dr. Goddard's Lab and the Planetarium, and that eventually led to full-time employment here, and so I've been in the education department here ever since. One of the things that the Cosmosphere is known for, besides, you know, the education, you know, Dr. Goddard's lab, that was one of my favorite things as a kid growing up, um, are the incredible artifacts that are housed at the museum. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about the Cosmosphere's collection of Mars-related artifacts? Like, what, what does the Cosmosphere have for that? I mean, obviously, it's nothing that's been to Mars, but <laughs> if it's, if it's Mars-related... Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Right. We do have a display in our, our universe gallery, which is just outside of the planetarium. And uh, we have a, a model, a really nice uh, replica of the Spirit and Opportunity rovers, which were sent to Mars in 2004. And, uh, and then there also in that display is the uh, Sojourner rover, but I believe it's on loan to another museum right now. But uh, those two things, and then there is um, a video of the uh, Curiosity rover. It's, it's landing and it's um, what it does on Mars, basically. And so that's a nice display. 
And that's, you know, in November, you, you mentioned the Curiosity rover. That's one of the biggest launches that's happened in November. I mean, it's a nearly 2,000-pound robotic explorer that's currently roving on the surface of Mars. Um, it actually just celebrated its fifth birthday. Right. How do missions like Curiosity and, you know, other ones like the Mars Global Surveyor and other NASA and, you know, international missions get integrated into the curriculum um, of the classes at the Cosmosphere? That's a great question. Probably the chief way is that we do a lot of robotics here. And uh, we have Lego Mindstorm EV3 robotics, which we use in a wide variety of programs. We use them in school programs. We use them in outreach. Uh, we use them in scouts. We use them in camps. And so those robots give the kids a chance to actually program a robot and see how that programming makes the robot move. And we give them an a challenge to overcome. Uh, those robots use sensors and so they can get sensor inputs. They can The robots can detect different colors. They can detect obstacles in the way. They have a push sensor where they can actually bump into something and detect things that way. And so it gives, a, gives the kids a sense of what it's like to actually program something and see how that, that uh, affects what the robot does. And then what I like to do is show them the models that we do have and explain, you know, imagine what it would be like now if you had to program this robot to go to Mars and imagine all of the things that you would have to know and all of the different sensors that it would take to uh, make a successful Mars landing. And uh, we do have uh, a program called Mars Rescue where uh, kids get to simulate a situation where an astronaut is stranded on the surface of Mars and would be rescued. We also have a camp called Mars Academy, which is uh, very, very heavy into uh, robotics. And uh, at the end of that camp, we create a Martian settlement. So it's basically like, you know, the real life Martian almost. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So what's the, you know, the reaction from the kids and from the teachers for that type of class? Like, is it something that they really engage with? Like, how does it you know, tie back what they're learning in, you know, science classes to the real world. Do you, do you see a, do you see them develop connections there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, everybody loves the robotics and uh, that's probably one of the more popular things that we do. And uh, because they're just fun. I mean, they're fun to, they're fun to, to control and uh, see how they move. And it's, it's, uh, it's good logical thinking because you have to figure out how to get the robot to move from step A to step B to step, step C to step, step D. And uh, there's a lot of good reasoning and problem solving that goes into that. So those are great skills that are useful um, in other applications as well. It sounds like you love being able to teach you know, the robotics part. What, what's another thing that you love to be able to share with students related to Mars, related to you know, planetary science in general? Well, as an amateur astronomer, and I have been for a long time, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to actually observe Mars directly. And so we have some really nice telescope equipment here, and we do a lot of that nighttime observing where we go out and we take the telescopes out, and we use those in our camps and programs. We do public observings. And so uh, we like to show people Mars in the sky. This is an exciting time because next year, Mars is going to be at a very, very close approach again. Uh, it, it will have will be almost as close as it was in 2003, which is one of the closest approaches ever. So that's going to be very, very neat. 
and uh, we talk about Mars, where it is in the sky, what it takes to get there, that kind of thing. So, It sounds like I need to come to one of these classes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you sure do. Uh, thankfully, there's an adult one because I think I'm a little bit too old for the grade school ones. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> What, what's your favorite part of, you know, working at the Cosmosphere or favorite exhibit? You know, what, what gets you going every day, you know, ready to work and ready to, to share your knowledge with students? Oh, wow. <clears throat> with students, sorry. <laughs> well, for, for a person who loves space, I mean, this is the place to be. There's really no better place that you could be in terms of um, being surrounded by just space. Uh, it, you know the the exhibits, the Apollo 13. I mean, I love the story of Apollo 13 and and the uh, what a harrowing mission that was, and the obstacles they had to overcome, and uh, being able to share that story. I love to give tours of the museum and to be able to share the the history of space because our museum is is laid out in such a way that we can walk through and we can kind of take a trip through time and start out in the beginnings of uh, the German uh, World War II and the German weaponry that, that went along with that and then all the way up through the Cold War and early manned space flight and so being able to share all of that with people being able to go out and do observing uh, in the night sky being able to teach all of these different programs it's it's really great I, I couldn't sure. agree more We'll pick back up with the conversation about Mars with Tracy in a few minutes, but first we've got an update on some of the things that are going on at the Cosmosphere this November. Carla Stanfield is here to tell us more about Leica Day. Carla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I did want to say a little bit about Leica. She was the Russian cosmonaut dog that was on the um, Sputnik 2. She and that craft will be celebrating a 60-year anniversary on the 3rd of November this year. So we are going to center our um, November public events on that anniversary. The first one that we'll have is Thursday the 16th. It's our Coffee at the Cosmo event. It's completely free from 9 to 10. You are invited to our banquet room to hear a presentation about Leica the Wonder Dog. Uh, we will have coffee and pastries there as well. And then, of course, you can feel free to stay and ask questions if you have any about Leica. And then on the 18th, during our normal Space Out Saturday that happens every third Saturday of the month, um, we're going to focus again on Leica and animals in space. We'll be having a joint community event called Leica Day with the Hutch Kennel Club. The Hutch Kennel Club is going to bring out some therapy dogs. They're going to run an agility course here across the street from our parking lot. We'll have some food trucks. And then our Space Out Saturday activities, like I said earlier, are all going to center on animals in space. This is free family fun. Kids can come and participate in activities, a special story time, a special museum tour just for children. Uh, that will be from 1 to 4 again on the 18th. And I might note one other thing there, John. Yeah. We, we do have a Sputnik 2 engineering model in our collection. So that's an official USSR engineering model. It would have been um, made to help 
determine payload and how much room little Leica had to move around in her cabin, all those kinds of things. So that is on display in our Hall of Space Museum. I was going to say, I think I've seen that one before last time I walked through. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That one does tend to stick out because there is a little um, model of Leica sitting in here. So uh, she gets noticed by quite a lot of our children who walk through. Well, Carla, thanks for jumping on today. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you having us. We've been talking about Mars today, and our conversation wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about the Mars-themed classes that the Cosmosphere offers students. Tracy has helped develop the updated curriculum for these classes, which is no small feat considering the Cosmosphere runs nearly two dozen classes and camps for everyone from first grade up to the adult astronaut adventure, which I'm not going to lie, I'm really wanting to go on that. Can you talk about the work that goes into creating all of these classes? Well, as we um, look at what we currently offer and what we can offer, I think it's important that you remember, you know, my background was in education and then in informal education. And so as I come in and I look at what we're offering, there's several things I want to blend together in every program. We have a 30-year history at the Cosmosphere of running camps and doing day camps, summer camps, scouting programs, every, you know, every form of working with students and adults. Um, all of them, as we look at you know, adding or changing, the key thing is it has to be interesting content. So it has to be you know, age appropriate and something that people want to engage in. And you heard Brad talking about robotics and of course Mars is a, you know, a big deal. Our museum is built around the space race, and it tells the story getting to the moon, but what it doesn't tell too much of, and we continue with our educational programs, is the continued space race, and that will be out to deep space with humans and off to Mars and maybe back to the moon. So that space race continues to go, and we want to educate and help support getting more students interested in that field to help make that happen for on the American side, obviously. So we need age-appropriate, we need content-rich programs where you learn a lot, but you do it across a variety of science and engineering topics and look at those different career fields. And then, of course, we are aerospace, so we have a very strong core. We have a clear vision of what we represent, and everything we do needs to be focused on either aviation or space. That fortunately for us is very easy because if you're going to take humans into space you basically take everything from our little earth satellite and take them off into space and that means I can still study my agriculture we'll do growing plants and food sources you know while in orbit or going out to long duration space travel Um, and then of course we also want to make sure that we have uh, some fun So while it's content rich and career focused, it's also very, very exciting and fun with great adventure, allowing our participants of whatever age they are to get out of their comfort zone, but stay in a safe place. So they might be uh, engaged in our 4G uh, centrifuge, which takes two participants. That sounds cool. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Well, it is not for the faint of heart or stomach, but um, you can, you don't have to go all the way up to 4Gs, but it will take you up and you get a little slice of what it feels like to train as a pilot or astronaut. And then we also have, you know, like our Soyuz capsule trainers, and it holds three people in a space that is 
pretty incredibly small. And you think of how many days they sat right next to their very best smelly friends on these travels, and you get a new perspective there as well for what training for space travel and going into space might feel like. A lot of people think they want to be an astronaut, and after they come through the programs, they decide that they would rather support astronauts, find that new technology, <laughs> find the physiological changes, help with you know making astronauts be able to survive longer, have less permanent effects of space travel, eat better, exercise, you know, whatever. It takes a lot to get a person into space. And that's everything from the propulsion system, engineer design, and taking care of humans or the craft itself. Like I said in my intro, if you, you go with what you know. So if we can introduce students to as many of these different aspects, then maybe something will resonate with them and they'll find their passion and want to do more. Building that confidence while they're here to take those risks and to figure out what they need to study, how they need to study, and how that might apply for their future. Well, you know, since we're talking kind of about Mars generally this month, um, what, what are some of your favorite things to integrate into the classes and camps uh, related to Mars exploration? Well, one of my favorites, and you won't find this shocking, is our space agriculture. <laughs> so when you come into the Cosmosphere, we've set up a very small demo of a greenhouse. We call it the pink house because it looks very pinkish purple. The, the spectrum of light that plants absorb is in that pink purple range. They actually reflect the green bandwidth. That's why they appear to our eye to be green. So when you go in there and you take just like a regular flashlight, you shine it at the leaves, they turn from this sort of not very healthy plant look to very, very green because they are actually very healthy, but they're not, they don't have that green light to reflect. When we bring students in there or folks, you know, I mean, Kansas is pretty agricultural based. When they come in, this is something people can really relate to and they understand and we can show how you can grow plants in space without using any soil. So we use hydroponics in that system. And then, you know, you may not want to be traveling with a lot of chemicals and other toxic. I know there's a lot of toxic things on a spacecraft, but no more than you have to have. <laughs> so we also are looking at aquaponics where they use fish then you can grow your protein and your vegetable sources. And the fish actually fertilize the water, which fertilizes the plant. And you have not a closed loop, but a, a nice circuit there where you're only providing food for the fish, which could also come from waste of other food and off products of, of your meals. So looking at that, I find that very relevant because this is something that applies not just to space travel, but also to our own backyards, is how are we using fertilizers? How do we know how much to apply, where to apply, um, insecticides, pesticides, all of these different you know, products we dump on fields, which then takes us over into our drone technology and how you can look at a field using a drone and get really, really clear images of, of the life, of the health of your plants, so you know where to apply instead of just putting everything everywhere, and then it's all running off into our water systems. I think it's interesting to be able to take space topics and weave it back, bring it home, so people can learn both how you might apply it to the aerospace industry and how the aerospace industry actually helps us here on Earth change and progress with how we use technology. That, that's incredible. So, you know, it sounds like the students really get immersed in literally every aspect of spaceflight, which is pretty awesome. That's our goal, yes. 
And if you're going to go to Mars, you're going to need all of that. You're going to need the robotics that Brad was talking about. There are many, many jobs that would not be possible to have humans do those jobs. And so we'll need to be able to control off-structure robots before we even get to Mars and then after we are there. And we'll need to grow our own foods. We'll need to be able to think and study. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when astronauts come back from their longer missions, they don't come bebopping down the stairs and high-fiving <laughs> everybody. They actually feel very, very nauseous and yeah. have trouble, you know, even getting their equilibrium to be able to stand up straight and, and not be dizzy. So imagine taking a six to nine month trip out to Mars, landing and thinking like in the movie, The Martian, you're going to jump up and start like, you know, building your settlement and growing your potatoes. That's going to be pretty <laughs> tough. You're going to need robotics to be able to do that. And you're going to need a lot of pre-planning and probably pre-positioning of food and supplies and fuel sources. There's a lot that goes into it, and it will take quite a lot of effort. We are not there yet. But the space race, as I said, continues, and a lot of that is going to happen in the commercial sector. So many, many people can be involved in that. Yeah, no, the announcements uh, recently from you know SpaceX and Lockheed Martin, exactly. it looks pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Somebody I just talked to recently um, was Dr. Kachun Yu with the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. And he was talking about uh, digital immersion in the planetarium and how that can help teach um, students and help them retain more information. The Cosmosphere has the Justice Planetarium and then also the Dome Theater. How, how do those uh, facilities get used during the education and outreach programs that the Cosmosphere does? Well, it's interesting history. When the Cosmosphere first began, our Goddard's lab was the planetarium. And I, so I want to add that one to your list of interesting venues Definitely. we have for educational purposes. Um, but And that one has just been updated, correct? We have updated all three at this point. The planetarium now is, is all digital and the star ball is gone. So that was a huge update. Okay. The digital dome was updated before that. New seating, new carpet, new projection in there. When it first started, it was actually an IMAX and they had those huge reels and it took like two people to load the, yeah. yeah. So it's come a long way. Now we get a hard drive and plug it in. It's, it's amazing. And then Goddard's, yes, was also completely updated. So we are making progress all the time. We stay the same, but we stay very different. You ask how we use those in our educational programs, and I want to explain mm -hmm. one program that focuses, we're able to take our documentaries and real life current technologies and build our programs around that. So an example of that would be our Space Junk program. There's a great documentary called Space Junk. There's actually a real world problem that some people are working on, some people are ignoring at the moment, but you will be hearing about it more and more as time goes on. And that is all of these things, satellites, boosters, uh, the ones that went very high that didn't just fall back to earth, mm -hmm. pieces of destroyed satellites, uh, old dead satellites that we no longer even can control are all orbiting in different zones around our earth. And it was very common practice to just assume, eh, there's a lot of room up there, so who cares? <laughs> well, now it's getting very crowded and we have things like our GPS satellites and our International Space Station and 
you know, others all being threatened by all this debris that's coming around at them that we cannot control. So NORAD tracks all of this out in Colorado Springs and mm -hmm. other people have to move the things they can control in and out of the way as bigger pieces come at them. We use our space junk with that documentary, which they would see, of course, in the digital dome. And then our students will also study what's up there, where it's at, what can it impact. And now we ask them, how are you going to clean it up? And the interesting thing is we don't know the answer. So hopefully our third, fourth, fifth graders of today will have that one figured out. Our generation made the problem and we don't know how to fix it. So I think that's very interesting and it makes it again that, yeah. you know, career focused and aerospace based. Um, it does use the documentaries and our different venues that we have very specifically for those different topics. And hopefully we'll let our students find a passion that we need for them to find. You know, you're talking about the future, you know, can you give listeners a glimpse of not just what the future holds for students, but what the future holds for education at the Cosmosphere? Well, I think as we look at our educational programs and, you know, we do have that 30 years of basis that we build from. So it's we have a staff that's changing and, and refreshing. It's, you know, many people in the informal education area kind of do about a three to five year, I'd say, shelf life of where they are. But this is great because it brings in new thoughts and new processes. And then we also keep our historical solid, we know how to run camps, intellectual property as well. Yeah. Last summer, we had over a thousand campers, many of which were residential campers. They stay here for a week or we take them out to see different aerospace venues in California, in Texas, and in Florida. Um, this year, we'll also add one that goes out to Western trip. We'll go down through Colorado, New Mexico. We'll see the spaceport, and then we'll come back up. And yes, we will stop to look for aliens in Roswell <laughs> along the way. That's important. For the future, I think what we're looking at is really more of the same, but yet different. So we're moving to web-based curriculum products that can be purchased anywhere and utilized in the classroom as a blended learning product for teachers to supplement their curriculum uh, for specific units. Uh, right now we're working on astronomy for K through 12. We'll have about five different levels that will serve that. And then we're also going international. We want to make sure that we're serving our local students and educators. We wanna be the focus for aerospace within the state of Kansas. And then we're in the center of the country and we pull campers and teachers from all over the country. I had one camp last summer for scouts that had 35 students from seven different states. So that's just an example wow. of, you know, they're not just from Kansas for sure, but certainly we don't wanna lose sight of our Kansas students and educators. But we will be going to a conference in London in January that will have 35,000 educators and administrators there from 130 different countries. So we would like them to see what we're doing here in Kansas. And we also are working on a couple of programs uh, that may take off in like South America and a few other places. So right now we're working on curriculum in English, Spanish, and German and getting things up where we can share the uh, content that we have here at the Cosmosphere, we can share our experts. We have, you know, we have Buzz Carpenter who 
was a test pilot and helped fly and test the SR-71 both in testing and in war and in actual missions. But he has flown the one that's in our lobby, and that's pretty darn cool. And then we, that is pretty cool. we have Steve Polly <laughs> who loves to drop in and help us out. And we have Glenn Fountain, who's from Kansas as well, and worked on the Pluto a new horizons project and so you know we have former campers and spacex and nasa and everywhere so we have quite the reach quite the collection and you know anything that i can do to weave those into our educational programs that's our that's our goal for the future i wish i was a kid so i could go to more of those camps well, come to our adult <laughs> camp it's super fun i, th- I think i might have to <laughs> they went do you, actually when they, is the yeah. next adult camp uh, when is the next adult camp it will be yeah. um in early august next year all right i i will have to put in my uh, annual vacation request yes. and and of course <laughs> anytime we have requests for specialized groups so if you had you know, 5, 10, 50 adults that you want to bring. We can make a program for you anytime. All right. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind. Please do. Yeah. Well, Tracy, it's been fantastic talking with you and uh, Brad today. Um, I hope to be able to do it again soon in the future. Thanks for coming on today. You bet. Well, thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the Cosmosphere podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you catch new episodes as they're released the first Wednesday of every month. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends and family, and also do us a favor by leaving a review in iTunes. It helps more people find out about the podcast, and we appreciate everybody that writes a review. Next month, we're talking about Apollo. For the Cosmosphere... I'm John Molnix. I also want to give a huge thank you to Benoit Darcy. Benoit lives in Paris, France, and provided the music that you hear in the intro and outro for this podcast. You can find Benoit's album, Apollo, on iTunes and other streaming services. I'm linking to it in the show notes, so be sure to check it out and give it a listen.